0: You're listening to the 66 podcast brought to you today by Geico. 15 minutes (laughs) could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Wow.
1: All of our sponsor, all of our guests today will
0: appear on the 1 800 Flowers hotline, our 1 (laughs) 800flowers.com hotline. Um, if you're looking for a gift to get for your wife, 1-800-Flowers.com is where me and Drew go to get our wives' gifts.
1: Use the promo code 66
0: to right. you place your order. If you type in that promo code, you will get error message, not really a real code. Oh. We don't have any sponsors. I just, I listen to ESPN Radio all the time. Yeah, oh, I Just
1: man, even on podcasts, it's getting to where there's, there are commercials on podcasts. Yeah, so we Can't just get gave away from some them.
0: free advertisement. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get paid folks, for that later.
1: Folks we do this for free. That's right. We we dig down deep into our pockets to to bring you a very well produced uh podcast here called The Sixty Six. That's why we're here, right?
0: We're, right. We're, and today we're, we're gonna do that on You don't mind getting to what we're Yeah, supposed let's get to, to what we're supposed to do here. Uh, I didn't think that was going to make it. I thought you were going to hit stop before no, we got No, anywhere, that's, but...
1: that's staying in, buddy. All
0: right. Uh, Daniel 4 is where <laughs> we are today. We're in our fourth episode and the fourth chapter of Daniel, and we're still in the part that's easy to outline. Like we mentioned in the first episode, it's going to get tough after chapter 6, um, or yeah. after chapter 7. One of the two. It gets pretty difficult around that area. But... Today we're in chapter four, um, and just to give you a little bit of context of where we are. Last week we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, in chapter three, and their whole uh, scenario with the fiery furnace. And then before that, in chapter two, we saw Daniel interpret one of the king's, or interpret, yeah, one of the king's dreams, and um, him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all promoted to pretty prominent places in. The kingdom. Now, the Septuagint says that this chapter takes place in Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year. And chapter 2, when Daniel was initially promoted for interpreting that dream, uh, says that chapter 2 took place in Nebuchadnezzar's second year. So we're talking possibly, and different uh, scholars will disagree about the time frame, obviously. Um, But if the Septuagint's right, we're talking about 16 years of time that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have been working together up to this point. So it's just interesting to think about. Um, Drew, you might disagree with this, but I think a key verse for this chapter is in verse 37. Uh, This is the very last verse of the chapter, and here's what it says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And I think that Um, serves as a decent...
1: Yeah, I do too. I think that's a good pick. Uh,
0: There's a lot of... It's a really unusual chapter. As a matter of fact, uh, Drew, the commentary I took off your shelf to study for this calls this the most unusual chapter in all of Scripture.
1: It might be. It might (laughs) be. I know a lot of the listeners out there are saying, no, no, it's got to be in Revelation. But the thing is, what makes this stranger than the book of Revelation is Revelation comes out from the beginning and says, we're going to be talking in symbols. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, but in this chapter, there's a weird symbol in the dream sequence, and then there is a a story, a historical story, that has something weird in it. So yeah, that, that's since it's historical instead of symbolic or apocalyptic. I think that does make it stranger than the Book of Revelation.
0: Yeah, I would say so, especially considering what happens in the chapter. Uh, but Drew, you've got our outline for the chapter So what...
1: Yeah, this one this one outlines really well Before I get to the outline I want to uh, highlight that key theme for the book of Daniel Let's not forget what it is Sovereignty Which has to do with supreme authority And uh, you see this key concept in this chapter More than any other chapter in Daniel Although we have already pointed out several places where it's spelled out for us But... Um, Look at verse 3 of Daniel 4. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then four times after that, in Dan, three in Daniel 4, and then uh, one time in Daniel 5, you have this refrain, the most high rules, uh, NIV says, is sovereign over. If you want to get the key word in there, you can see that in the NIV. The most high rules the kingdoms of men. And gives it to whom he will. So it's God who sets up kingdoms, it's God who tears them down. That's repeated three times in this chapter, and like I said, it's repeated again in chapter 5, verse 21. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn this kind of the hard way, and um, whenever we look at this chapter, we're going to see that God teaches him this lesson on sovereignty. Um, in four jolting ways, I mean, four really surprising ways. And so this is how the outline goes. We're going to look at those four different ways that God teaches Nebuchadnezzar this lesson and causes him to be humble in in his great pride. And the first way he teaches that is through visions. So as Andrew already noted, I think that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream which made him afraid, verse 5. And, uh, you know, this man is obsessed with dreams. He has this group of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers that are employed to interpret them for him. And uh, so he has a dream, and this sounds a lot like Daniel, too, where he had a dream and he was disturbed by it, troubled by it, and he calls his staff together, and they can't interpret the dream, so then what do they do? They go find Daniel, Daniel. who never shows up with these guys, but he's always somewhere else. And they know that he's the only one who can really do these things, so they go and get daniel um just a little footnote so people reading from their Bibles don't get confused. uh the king had given Daniel the name Belteshazzar, not to be confused right with off the tongue yeah, not to be confused with Belshazzar, who we're gonna study next week, right. This is Belteshazzar, and I believe several times in this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar refers to Daniel by that name. We're we're just going right. to keep calling him Daniel.
0: And he even tells you... He gives you a little info about that name, right? He says his name that I gave to him after my God built to Shazzar. Doesn't right. he say that?
1: Yeah, and it's after his God, and it's all a part of the conquest. The Babylonians, uh, they conquered you first militarily, and then they conquered you with violence, and then they conquered you psychologically by giving you a new name... And your name is your identity. Daniel was a name that identified him with the Jews. Belteshazzar was a name that identified him with Babylonian culture and religion. Right. So I would think that Daniel probably did not like being called Belteshazzar. Probably not. when Nebuchadnezzar said it, he held his tongue. I don't... It's speculation. But anyway, mm-hmm. here's here's a summary of the dream from Daniel 4 verse 13. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So uh, you have this really strange dream. And that's the first way that God yep. communicated with him to try to shake him out of his immense pride.
0: Can I throw something in here yeah, real quick Yeah, please. For Come on. on. Uh, just... In case, I mean, you probably don't need this, but it mentions that a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. Then in verse 17 says this sentence is by decree of the watchers. Um, watcher is really is a late Hebrew, or it's really an Aramaic word. Um, from about halfway through chapter 2 all the way through part of chapter 7, we're in Aramaic. Um, so this is just an Aramaic word that really means angel. So when you see watcher, it's not like any kind of special rank order of angel. It's probably just a generic term for mm-hmm. angel.
1: Yeah, and um, like you said, in Aramaic, the the translation might even reflect that in Watcher. Mm-hmm. If it had been written in Hebrew, we'd probably have angel right in front of us. Right, yeah. Yeah, I I didn't think about that, but that's a pretty good point to make. Okay, so first of all, the visions. Now secondly, God communicates with Nebuchadnezzar through prophets. And we've already seen examples of false prophets in this ch- in this chapter. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls these magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers in, and of course they cannot make known the interpretation. So when Daniel's called in, we get the look of a true prophet of God. Uh, he's considered true according to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, where you know if what he says comes true, comes to pass, he's A true prophet. Daniel's already proven. uh, He's already proven that and been tested. Mm -hmm. Um, But in addition to that, I think you can see that Daniel is a true prophet in the way that he conducts himself. Look at verses 18 and 19. Uh, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, this is Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me. The interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Notice Nebuchadnezzar's language is not the language of a true believer in the -hmm. true God. Verse 19 says that Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and it's interpretation for your enemies. So let me point out um, four things about Daniel's character here while we're in this prophet part of the of the outline. First of all, he had built up an influence. Mm-hmm. So it's different from chapters 1 and 2 where he came in and there was any doubt that he would not be able to do that. Here, uh, the king says, You are able for the spirit of the holy gods yeah. is upon
0: you. Could have possibly had 16 years to prove this. Right. Yeah, so long time.
1: he's been watching Daniel for a long time. Daniel's mm-hmm. been helpful to him. Secondly, he loved his country. Now, he wasn't in his home country. He's in Babylon, but he harbored no ill will towards the country that he was, you know, obviously seeking to reform and yeah. trying to instill faith into the people. He wasn't doing it in a hateful way, but he was doing it in a way that was helpful and uh, you know, I think it's just amazing that when he heard this dream, which he knew right off spelled disaster for Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't jump up and down and cheer, or he didn't relish the moment with uh, calling down woes from heaven. Instead, he yeah. says, "It says he was dismayed, and his thoughts alarmed him." Now, yeah. that's not outwardly; that's inwardly, meaning he really did feel troubled alongside of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I mean, he's, it
0: makes perfect sense. I mean, if he's if he really has been an advisor to the king for sixteen years, built a pretty good re- relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's open to the God of Heaven, obviously. I mean, he's open to a lot more gods as well. But right, believing yeah. in God a little bit's better than none, I guess. Um, uh, for um, yeah. for Daniel's purposes, anyway. Mm. Uh, but I, I do think it's interesting if you're reading this in the King James version. In uh, 19, where it says Daniel was dismayed for a while, King James Version said he was dismayed for an hour. Hmm. says so one hour. That's interesting. But it's, it's not necessarily one hour. So anybody mm. out there that's reading this with their Bible open and using a King James Version, it's not necessarily an hour. Uh, it's just any kind of period of yeah. time. Indefinite an hour, period of time. Yeah, an hour seems a little long for maybe the context. Because mm-hmm. if well, you just I, stand I there for I, an hour in front of the king...
1: Well, to be honest with you, I kind of... In my mind's eye, I see him going away to his room or whatever, and praying about this. It doesn't say that he did that, but I've always thought longer than an hour, maybe overnight. But I think it does read like you're saying it does read like he stays right there in front of the king. So. Yeah,
0: but you're right too. I mean, that, there's definitely some room for because the king says to him basically, don't, don't be alarmed. So yeah,
1: he can read it on his face. That's yeah, true. Something happened. Here's the third thing about his character as a true prophet. He prayed for his rulers. The first reaction that he had was to pray. And you remember in our Nehemiah podcast, we we talked about how Nehemiah's first reaction to his enemies was to pray. Right. But Nehemiah's prayer was like, Lord, kill these people. Yeah. I mean, it was like... I'm done with these people. Yeah. Uh not talking about his own people, but the but the people trying to attack him, the enemies of Israel. Daniel is so different from that, and I'm not saying one was wrong, one was right. They were in two different situations. But Daniel says, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So it's really you know, Nebuchadnezzar is keeping this man captive. He took him away from his homeland, he destroyed his god's temple Mm -hmm. and he's saying i don't want this to be about you i know i shouldn't but i are you going to say 16 years again
0: no okay i'm having i just have a positive (laughs) view of nebuchadnezzar yeah for some reason
1: no i'm getting that too daniel
0: likes him so i feel like i should like him yeah you know daniel or maybe daniel just said that because he's worried the king might want to kill him after he gives him this well, terrible news, we see in
1: Daniel six that he's not worried about somebody killing him.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: You know, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not worried about this particular man. And how would you feel if a guy threw your best friends into a fiery furnace? I mean, yeah, I don't, I good... don't think. I think we need to remember that this is the guy who did that in the last chapter. So I think that's it's that point. Daniel. Has no need to be afraid or angry or mad because he knows who's in control here.
0: Yeah, that's like you mentioned. The, what again, we should all the work towards. Again, the theme of the book being God's sovereignty. Yeah, Daniel's definitely in tune with that.
1: I think that explains how he could pray for this country. I think it explains why he could pray for his king, his captor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not worried because he knows that Nebuchadnezzar's really not in charge. Yeah what I love and the contrast between our society that is so narcissistic and self centered is that Daniel I lost my train of thought here, but Daniel, um, he's not insecure. Yeah. Man, insecurity is such a problem these days and mm-hmm. I, I see it in myself. I'm not, you know, exempt from this. Nope. But Daniel really helps me Put things in picture he knew it wasn't all about him yeah and that helped him not feel pressured or feel anxious but let me get to the fourth part of his character he was loyal to his country he prayed that the awful things that were in Nebuchadnezzar's dream would befall his enemies and not him so here's the here's the interpretation we took a lot of time on that but I think that was good because there's a lot of you know maybe it was something for the third segment of the podcast but It's good to look at Daniel's character. He's just got an exemplary character here. But here's getting back to the dream, the massive tree was Nebuchadnezzar and his glorious kingdom.
0: Surprise, surprise.
1: Right. Seen that before with the golden head on the statue. Mm -hmm. The watcher or the messenger, the angelic creature that um, Andrew was talking about, was a holy one coming down from heaven, verse 25. So that signifies that this vision contains a declaration from God. Uh, The cutting down of the tree, that represents Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. And there's strange things involved in that. Verse 23, let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field. And also in verse 23, we read that this would occur for seven periods of time. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if that means... Maybe seven years, seven months, the seven days. And,
0: septuagint and Josephus both say it was seven years. Okay. But when you find
1: out what's going to happen, that seems like a long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's at the end of the day, I don't guess there's any 100% guarantee that it was seven years. But to me, I think the Septuagint saying it was seven years is pretty... I mean, I think that's pretty good evidence but you know it could Well be. and
1: you know we might say this for our listeners the Septuagint that we keep talking about is a very important translation of the Old Testament or the Hebrew right. scriptures so it's a translation all translations are human mm-hmm. but there many of them are very good at at translating what God's word is and the Septuagint was used by Jesus and the disciples so obviously it was a good translation Um, Mm -hmm. so the people translating may have done a little interpreting there to call this seven years Yeah. Um, literally it's seven periods of time Um, back to the interpretation the stump would be left which is introduce the possibility of restoration uh, from the time that the king acknowledged that heaven rules Okay, so that's the prophet. So, four ways the Lord is going to correct Nebuchadnezzar's pride. The first way is a vision. The second way is a prophet. Mm -hmm. The third is declarations. There are two declarations made by Daniel based on this dream. The first declaration is in verses 17. It's repeated in verse 25 that the, the declaration was that the things that are in this dream were set in place that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So, um, you know, that statement on sovereignty that we read at the yeah. beginning of the podcast. The second declaration was, "Oh, verse 27, Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be, perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So you find this in every story of the Bible, buried away, somewhere in there, the Lord is saying, change, repent, and life is going to get better for you. Stay where you are, and more woes will follow. Um, The final way that the Lord gets through to him, and he probably, I, I think he takes about a year to get to this, but the final mm-hmm. way that he does it is affliction. Ver, look at verses twenty-eight through thirty. A whole year passed nothing happens. Nebuchadnezzar is as prideful as ever. Mm-hmm. He's probably like the scoffers in Second Peter three, who say, yeah. "You know, when's the when's the Lord coming back?" It's been, mm-hmm. you know, years and nothing has happened. And yep. So Nebuchadnezzar is one of these guys that maybe the first few nights he lost sleep over it, but a year has passed and he's forgotten about it. And um, suddenly, out of nowhere, he is afflicted by the condition that Daniel predicted. Look at verse 33. This is where the strange stuff is. Uh, he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws.
0: How long are eagle's feathers?
1: Um, You know... Good six inches at least, right? Okay, so we're thinking like Tom Hanks Cast Away, uh, yeah. Except long nails also. Hmm. So it had to be, you know, if you look at the long nails. That that's more than a month. It's, so it could have been seven weeks. But then these conditions, how long can you behave this way and eat grass like an ox and survive yep. seven years? And just a spoiler alert, he's going to be restored back to his kingdom. So I don't know how a man can live like that that's for seven point. years and go back to his throne. I can buy seven months, seven years. I just, you know, and I, again, I respect the Septuagint, but mm-hmm. I just, I don't think it could have been. Not, not yeah, that it matters. Um, but the affliction has its intended effect... At the end of those days uh, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes to heaven gave up his pride and gave honor to the most high mm-hmm.
0: and so um, culminating in that statement that we said at the beginning is a good key verse where Nebuchadnezzar himself says God is able to humble uh, those who walk in pride
1: right so that ends the story we're going to come back and talk about some of these strange goings on in the next segment.
0: Okay, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper into a few of these things from Daniel 4. And Drew, I've just got a quick question for you. Um, I'm going to just throw this one at you blind. I probably should have asked you in the break. But there's one thing I think that's, certainly I'm not questioning inspiration here, but one thing, one big thing I think is missing from this chapter that I was kind of expecting to see. And that's Nebuchadnezzar's initial reaction to hearing Daniel telling this dream. Because I'm thinking, with all the Hmm. power that Nebuchadnezzar has, anybody that tells him that his dream is about him dying, which is what it sounds like. I mean, it doesn't look like there's a restoration in the future. Yeah.
1: It's either death or something worse than
0: that. So if I'm Daniel, and I'm listening to that dream, and the whole time, you know, he says, I'm this great tree, but then an angel comes down and says tear the tree down, Daniel's thinking, oh no. Oh no. You know, and he's just yeah. waiting on Nebuchadnezzar to get done. And at the end, uh, after he after Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream, it says Daniel's dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. So I think there's two options here. He's either alarmed because, you know, he's built a good relationship with Nebuchadnezzar uh, and he's alarmed that Nebuchadnezzar's going to be something's going to happen to him. He's worried about who's going to take over after Nebuchadnezzar. Or, He's worried about, oh no, I'm standing here in front of the king and I've got to somehow break it to him that this vision is about his downfall and I don't know how to do that. And I'm in danger. Yeah, that, yeah. And so I'm thinking that might have something to do with this first little statement of saying, may this be for your enemies and not for you, you know, kind of trying to butter him up.
1: Well, if that were the case, okay, let's think about Daniel's personality then he would have acted very different in Chapter 6 with the news that he was going to be thrown in the lion's den.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, true.
1: I'd be more afraid of lions than Nebuchadnezzar. Although both of them could kill me, Yeah. the way Nebuchadnezzar would kill me would be a little less tra- traumatic than the way the lions are going to kill me.
0: Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Like I want to know what Nebuchadnezzar said or did immediately after that. Like I wonder if he yeah. just screamed at Daniel and said, get out of here, I don't want to hear that? Yeah. Or... Well, I think
1: I think the answer, I, I would have liked to have known that too. We know that he was troubled by the dream, so obviously he, he was troubled by the interpretation of the dream. Yeah. Um, Daniel's preface, you know, oh no, I wish this was about your enemies and not you, shows that Nebuchadnezzar had some reaction. But the Bible doesn't reveal it, and it goes to the point about the Bible being... Not a novel to entertain us, but a, yeah, re- yeah. a revelation to direct us towards God's will. And so it does leave out quite a few details um, so that it can highlight the most important details.
0: But it, it would be such a great... I mean, it is... And I really like what you said about it, it's not written to entertain us. But when you think about the storyline here... It's a really good story. Yeah. So, Daniel, as a young man, is taken from his home to a new country where, at the very beginning, you know, he doesn't give in to a lot of the things that go against what he was raised to believe is right and wrong as far as eating the food goes. And it works out for him. Um, He, you know, they become more prominent than any of the other guys that are in there. They're in Babylon, and then he interprets the dream, and then uh, they all. You know Daniel and the other three; they really skyrocket from there. You know, being promoted to very uh, important positions, and then his friends almost get killed standing up for what they believe in. And now, possibly, a lot of time has gone by, and here's Daniel with someone who could even be his friend. Maybe you know, it's it's just some interesting things to think about. Could be his friend. The
1: the 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 dynamics in the relationship are interesting to think about, but all we can do is speculate.
0: Yeah. yeah. All we can do is speculate. Um I was just wondering to see what your opinion was, maybe what you thought.
1: Yeah, I think it I I think the answer to the question is the focus of the Bible and where it is, it's not on entertaining us. It's meant I mean if it was about entertaining us then we wouldn't have the book of Leviticus. Yeah. You know, so that's very it's, true. It's it's there to to tell us the scheme of redemption and to lead us to Jesus Christ.
0: This is our first ad for our next podcast on Leviticus.
1: Hmm. We should right. We, it's one of the sixty six. I don't yeah, know if we're ready do to next. do it next. But, it's going to uh, be a tough several yeah. weeks for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, now here here's something else I wanted to talk about. So Nebuchadnezzar was pr- proud. That was his problem. Why was he proud? Well, there there are a number of reasons why he was so cocky. Um, He's one of the longest reigning monarchs of Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. He ruled Babylon from 605 to 562 B.C., over 40 years. Now, compare that to other kings in Israel or outside of Israel especially kings that lived during transitional periods, not like Solomon. Okay, so Solomon, he inherited a kingdom that his father had built, mm-hmm. and there was prosperity and peace throughout his entire reign. I didn't look it up, but I think he reigned for several years. That's different from saying this is a man who's expanding his kingdom, constantly putting his life in danger, and he does that for 40 years. He's mentioned, this might surprise you, Andrew, He's he's mentioned. How let me let me see what you think. How how many times do you think the name Nebuchadnezzar is used in the Old Testament? Uh, thirty five. Ninety. No. Ninety. That no, that close. is a lot. I mean, that's more than <laughs> yeah, some prophets are mentioned. Um, he was a fierce military commander. He gained control of virtually the entire ancient Near East. Um, He, of course, destroyed Jerusalem and led the Jews away into captivity. And then he began this building program in the city of Babylon. And uh, archaeologists have excavated Babylon and discovered amazing fortifications. The inner city was around 1,100 acres, and it was built up along both sides of the Euphrates River. Um, The so uh, th- so this uh, fortification was a wall that was five and a half miles long that incorporated an inner wall 21 feet wide and an outer wall 12 feet wide. So it had two walls. Donald Trump would really like this guy. He's wanting to build a wall. These are some big walls. Um, nice. They ran... Uh, So together, you put those together, the depth of those two walls together is 57 feet. And then there was a moat around the outer wall fed by the Euphrates rivers, and other defenses were constructed away from the inner city. Within the city, you have Nebuchadnezzar's palace, which occupied an area of about 50 acres. The palace, not the palace Mm. grounds, the palace itself, 50 acres, and there were 50 temples in there, With also a lot of shrines and other buildings. And legend has it that Nebuchadnezzar designed the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon for his wife Amethyst, uh, which reminded her of her homeland in the mountains. And uh, you've heard of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. Mm -hmm. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was one of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. Yeah. So, you know, the the chapter talks, and we didn't dwell on it very much, but the chapter talks about him admiring his construction projects and all of that. And uh, so that's, you know, maybe gives you a little understanding of why he was so proud. And um,
0: Yeah, he had a lot of stuff to be proud about, I yes, guess. He yes. had accomplished a lot.
1: But he had all of that because God was using him to, to punish his people. Mm-hmm. And had, according to the main theme of the book of Daniel... Because God had set him in that position, and God proved that he could take him out of that position as well mm-hmm. um all right, now let's get to the part everyone's wanting to talk about the eight hundred pound wild man in the room mm-hmm. okay that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar you know what what in the world this guy's got. You know, Feathers like eagle's feathers and talons And, mm-hmm. and of course it, it didn't say that he had eagle's feathers His hair grew out like eagle's feathers And his fingernails yeah. were like talons um, So that that's a pretty interesting part And that's what everybody talks about When they say this is the weirdest chapter in the Bible mm-hmm. uh, There actually is a delusional disorder called lycanthropy That matches Nebuchadnezzar's behavior uh... if you look it up you'll read that patients with lycanthropy imagine that they're wolves and uh... the typical onset for this occurs in later life which that would apply to nebuchadnezzar it frequently lasts from months to years and then it remits spontaneously in other words it goes away without warning it it comes it goes just as quickly as it comes often without another relapse so it's a really strange (laughs) disease like that? Why are you laughing?
0: It's just I I just can't believe there's like there's a medical term for lycanthropy. Well, can't well it. randomly, Certainly. at some day when you get a little bit older, you might just start acting like a wolf. It could last for a few months, a few years, and then randomly you'll come out of it and you'll never know the problem with it again. I know it's it's really weird. I but just wonder how many like documented 60, cases. sixty or 70 year olds you run into that have had like a two year stint as a werewolf. I don't <laughs> Do <you> know?
1: <laughs> well. I I think today, um, you know, psychiatry has advanced to the point that they can probably uh, treat
0: this problem. That's where werewolf legends have come from. That is the theory.
1: That is the theory. Werewolf legends have, I mean, almost across the board, anybody who thinks very long about werewolves. So bottom line is,
0: here's what I'm going to tweet out on our ad for this episode. Was Nebuchadnezzar a werewolf?
1: That's pretty good.
0: Things uh, you didn't think you would hear on the 66 podcast. The werewolf folklore
1: probably came from that. And That's there's crazy. more. Not, so werewolves are a myth, right? Uh, it's part of folklore. All folklore is based on something. Some it starts of, with an yep. idea that from real life. Also, if you look into mythology, Greek mythology, there, there's a story about a man named Lycone. I'm not exactly Mm -hmm. sure how to say it, but he was king of Arcadia. He was blasphemous towards Zeus. Uh, He was proud, very proud. He would claim to have as much power as the gods. And according to the myth, Zeus turns him into a wolf. And then he snaps out of it again. So what's interesting about the werewolf lore... And this uh, story of the king of Arcadia is in both cases they they go crazy and they come back out of it mm-hmm. again. Um, let's see. I've got here's how Ovid the the Greek poet uh, tells a story uh, about like Ly- I have troll with the name Lycoen of Arcadia. Um, Uh, Zeus is speaking here, and he says, I gave signs that a god had arrived, and the people began to worship me. At first, Lycoan ridiculed the pious offerings. Soon he said, I'm going to find out by means of a guaranteed test whether this is a god or mortal. talking about Zeus. The truth will not be in doubt. So he tried to kill Zeus. Hmm. That's a bad idea. And so what happened next was that Lycoan fled in terror... When he had come to the deserted reaches of the countryside, he howled and tried in vain to speak. As a result of his own nature, his appearance took on a kind of madness, and he began to take pleasure in blood, his clothes became fur, his arms turned into legs, he became a wolf, but he kept vestiges of his former self. There was the same grayness and same fury about his face, the same eyes shone in his head, he had the same appearance of fierceness." So that's from Ovid, the Roman poet. His his dates are forty three BC to seventeen AD. Just putting that out there, so nobody thinks that Daniel got this from Ovid or some of the some of the Romans. This is before the
0: Roman period. There's one. Does it always have to be a wolf with this particular disease? No, because we do have Nebuchadnezzar ate grass like an ox, so he wasn't like a wolf. Like he didn't go around eating. That's an herbivore. Yeah, he was not a carnivore.
1: <laughs> well, there's a and and here's another example. So there's a movie that came out in the '90s, The Madness of King George. Ever heard of it?
0: Never. Well, not until previously when you mentioned it right before we hit record. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah, in I've that movie, he goes yeah. crazy. King George. This is the King George that reigned uh, the UK when during the American Revolution and so um, according to the movie he goes crazy and then all of a sudden without warning he comes back to his old self now that's not actually what happened with King George King George did have psychological issues he did not get over them spontaneously like the movie has Mm -hmm. from my understanding but there again Mm -hmm. you have at least the movie that has the similarities to this Um, you know and I've, I've got this song here but I feel like I'm you know, it's just—it's it's interesting there, that there this are a is lot of a, things in culture that reflect this. Either they came from yeah. Daniel or they came from the actual delusional disorder of lycanthropy.
0: It's just interesting that this actually—you know—this isn't probably isn't just a one-time thing that just happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It's never happened to anybody else again. It's an actual disease that, or I guess, a mental disorder that people deal with. So it's just yeah. interesting to see it's that... it's cataloged. Yeah,
1: and and it's a Greek word uh, lukos lukon means dog Mm -hmm. and anthropos is where anthropy comes from which means man so it it means wolf man
0: yeah wolf man it's pretty interesting
1: (laughs) so anybody who wants to make fun of Michael J. Fox and that Teen Wolf movie they need to back (laughs) off
0: that's a real thing (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, uh, that that that's about it for this segment, right? Yeah, I think, I, think we, I mean,
0: once we once you've said the word werewolf, what else can you say in a podcast howl. segment? I'm not going to howl. I'm not. Gonna gonna howl. I'm
1: the, yeah, I might do it later. Not on the air.
0: Okay, so now we are going to apply some of these things from Daniel chapter 4. Really interesting, really weird chapter. But there's a lot of good application. And the first one that I want to look at is Nebuchadnezzar's journey of faith. Now, I really think Nebuchadnezzar's journey of faith in God is can be analogous to everyone's journey of faith. Now, hopefully it doesn't involve a stint as a some kind of werewolf or <laughs> whatever or yeah. um, being afflicted with that kind of mental disorder for a time. But when we begin this chapter, chronologically speaking, speaking uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a little bit of faith in God or at least he knows who he is and he's willing to call him God. In chapter 2 and verse 47, after Daniel has Uh, interpreted the first dream the king says to Daniel truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery so Nebuchadnezzar this is really I guess the beginning of his interaction with God that we see in the book Um, and it seems to be a positive one and then at the end of chapter 3 obviously when Shadrach Meshach and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28 Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants uh, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. And Then he goes on to say, If anyone speaks against their god, he shall be torn limb from limb. So again, we have his faith progressing a little bit. Obviously, still a small faith here because once we arrive in chapter 4, he still Maybe he understands that God is around and that God is doing things around him. He's revealing mysteries. He's saving his servants. But Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get that God is sovereign and is in control of everything. Not just interpreting a dream. Not just in saving three guys out of a fiery furnace. But he's also in charge of Nebuchadnezzar as well. And this chapter is where he gets the wake-up call of God is in charge of you too. Um because, and matter of fact, that's what Daniel tells him this is for. Uh, In verse 26, he says, um, your king, well, let's just read the whole verse. It was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So the idea of this period of affliction for Nebuchadnezzar is that he can figure out that God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. He can know that God rules. And so by the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has been humbled, and he is able to say, "You know, this is God." And at the beginning of the chapter, even he gives you his preface to the story, um, saying, "This is King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, and how mighty are His wonders! His kingdom's an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation." We've already read the end of the uh, chapter where he says that God is. Able to humble those who walk in pride. He is the king of heaven. All of his works are right. All of his ways are just. So his faith begins to grow. And uh, what we know also from this is this is not the end of his journey in faith. In chapter 6, there's going to be yet another example of Nebuchadnezzar's Mm -mm. Chapter, six, isn't Chapter it? six. Oh yeah, to that's Darius. Darius. Yeah, that's this exactly is, right.
1: This is actually. Oh yeah, um, the last story. Yeah, of, Nebuchadnezzar the last story that of Nebuchadnezzar
0: the we get. Yeah, so maybe now we can speculate on this. I have that written down. This is what happens when you goes off when you go off your notes. Um, but we can hey, speculate hey, about. Don't don't feel bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I should have put. This is where I should have put our one eight hundred flowers ad. It was right here. <laughs> Um so Nebuchadnezzar, um, even at this point, you know, his faith is going to continue to grow, obviously. I'm thinking of men like Peter in the New Testament, um, who slowly come to a, a greater faith in Jesus, and obviously a greater faith in God, to where one minute he is answering uh questions about Jesus saying, You are the Son of God when Jesus says, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the son of God. Then just a few verses later, Peter is mm-hmm. rebuking Jesus, right. saying, you're not going to die. Don't be talking like that. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. And then he goes on to deny Christ later. Then you get to Acts chapter 2, and we have Peter who's grown in faith so much from the time of the Gospels where he's the one standing up, giving the address, quoting the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost when uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on on the men there, And but Peter's still not done, because when we get to Galatians, Peter's had a problem and Paul had to oppose him to his face, because Peter was refusing yeah. to sit down and eat with Gentiles. Uh, so it's just interesting to me that Nebuchadnezzar's journey of faith here uh, kind of... Getting to know who God is, having faith in God, but certainly not having it all figured out through experience and through time, he's made a little bit wiser, and he's able to see exactly what a real faith in God looks like. And uh, I just think it's. But I wonder if to he ever got that.
1: I I don't think that he ever got to the point of having a faith that saves. I doubt it. He he has. A kind of faith at the end of chapter four, mm-hmm. and that last verse sounds really good, but uh, there's no evidence that he ever came to be a true believer. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, you know. What you're saying is exactly right. We're watching him progress, mm-hmm. but there's only so much time, and yeah. then God requires your soul. And the question is, do you progress enough in your faith to get to where you trust God alone? Yeah. And I think I think he's still talking. I mean, he says, you know, the spirit of the holy gods is with Daniel. Yeah. And I don't think he ever got to the point where he said the spirit of the only God is with Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, going along with that lesson, I think just really quickly, I'd like to point out a lesson that we see in just about every book that we survey like this, and that is that there are benefits to affliction. Um you know I don't believe that God causes affliction, but I think he gives it meaning, and you know Nebuchadnezzar's example shows that some of us would never lift our eyes to heaven if it wasn't so painful to look at the earth and yeah. so you know he didn't when he was comfortable, he was not looking up to heaven, but then when he when he was afflicted, he looked up to heaven and he called on the name of God yeah. so this like is that. the discipline of
0: the Lord yeah, I like that phrase in verse four. Uh, about where you know everything's so nice around him it says I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace.
1: Yep, and not looking towards heaven right. at all. Yeah. Um of course the most obvious lesson to go into a third one is pride goes before destruction. Yeah. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. I don't know that we really need to elaborate on that because that's what the story, the whole story that we've been talking about for almost an hour that's what it's teaching. So mm-hmm. what else can you say about it? Um, he was destroyed because of his pride. When he humbled himself, God exalted him again. And right. Jesus' statement was, everyone who, who exalts himself will be abased. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So it's yeah. the exact opposite scheme of the world. Humility is where the power is because yeah. it
0: leans on the power of God. I think that's definitely... like we mentioned with the key verse talking about God being able to humble those who are proud that's the main idea of chapter 4 I believe is pride goes before destruction Um, God exalts those who humble themselves humbles those who exalt themselves I have one more little application here um, from verse 27 where Daniel has just revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and then he closes with this he says therefore O king let my counsel be acceptable to you Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And perhaps Nebuchadnezzar actually did that because it's a whole year before he is um, struck with this mental illness. But Daniel's plea to repentance here stands, I mean, has stood from then all the way up to now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, we still have a a promise based on the holy nature of God, a promise of what's going to happen to those who live without God. Um, like Nebuchadnezzar here is living a life of really not paying the proper respect to God, not following God, and there's this punishment coming to him. But Daniel says, look, if you will break off your sins and practice righteousness, then perhaps this won't happen to you.
1: And Nebuchadnezzar probably had been um, offering up sacrifices to the God of heaven, Mm -hmm. probably prayers to the God of heaven, probably uh, financed the worship of the God of heaven. But the Psalms tell us over and over and over again that it's not the sacrifices that God wants. He wants you to repent. He wants you yeah. to sacrifice your broken heart. He wants you to give Him your your own self, to deny yourself. Yeah. He, does, he takes no pleasure in the amount of animals that are killed on His behalf. He doesn't mm. need them. What He wants is faithfulness, repentance, and trust. And so yeah. uh, Nebuchadnezzar probably had become more religious towards the God of heaven. I mean, it seems to suggest that. He definitely knew who he was by now, whereas in Daniel 1, he had no idea. Yeah. Um, still, he wasn't doing what God wanted. God wanted repentance. And the, the, the real practical part of that today is there are a lot of religious people in the world who are lost. There are a lot of people who go to church. And they um, give money. And they think, these things are impressing God enough that I don't have to change this sin in my life. I don't have to give up this bad habit. I don't have to you know, become a different person through Christ. I can be me and pay God off. And that's not what God wants because He already owns anything that you would try to give to Him.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Nebuchadnezzar is guilty of the same thing a lot of us are guilty of all the times where he likes he's a fan of God, he's a big fan of God but he doesn't want to be his follower Uh, you know the deal breaker for Nebuchadnezzar would be the thou shall have no other gods before me or you know you shall not worship any other gods, Nebuchadnezzar I'm imagining you know—he's he likes God, he's okay with God he likes a lot of the law I'm sure, Um, obviously he didn't hate it otherwise he would not have allowed Jews to continue to practice it in his own country But I'm sure for him, he's thinking, okay, I like all this stuff except for, and obviously this is speculation, but except for this line here that I can't worship any other gods. How am I not supposed to worship? Or that I
1: can't be one of those gods. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good
0: one. Uh, And worship myself as well uh, Mm -hmm. as one of those gods. But, you know, I think a lot of us at times, I mean, maybe we're not guilty of wanting to worship other gods or, Elevate ourselves to the status of a God, but I think a lot of us can say, I like God, I like Christianity, I want to do some of it, but there are some parts of it that I'm just, you know, I don't agree with that I'm not Mm -hmm. going to do. Yeah. You know, I don't agree with the fact that um, some of these things the New Testament says are wrong are actually wrong. I want to make them cultural. I'm not going to agree with some of the, uh, just any of the teachings in the New Testament that you want to take. I'm not going to agree with the fact that um, I need to do those things because I just don't think it's relevant anymore. I don't want to have to do it. Um, And I really like what you said about having religion and being okay with God but not really willing to submit to Him 100%.
1: Right, yeah. Let me throw one last one in. Okay. Um, I I know we already said it in the read section, but I just want to repeat it at the end of this podcast because of frankly, some disturbing trends that I'm seeing in America right now. Uh, This is an election year. We're doing this in 2016, and we're seeing a lot of uh, mob mentality, violence in protests. Um, What a stark contrast to Daniel's attitude, who came to the man who conquered him, and when he heard bad news, he sincerely felt dismayed over it. He was alarmed by it, and when he prayed, he asked that the dream would be for those who hated his master and not for him, that it would be for his enemies and not for him. He was not a Babylonian, he was a Jew living in Babylonia, but he still prayed for the place where he happened to be, the place where he was exiled, he prayed for that place. Now that, I know he was a Jew, but that is Christian conduct right there. That's the attitude. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And so, I, you know, I see this at the ballpark. Hmm. You know, when you go to little kids' games, I see this in politics. Everything is a competition where somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. Now look in baseball. I, you know, I'm I'm one of these. I, I I like winners and losers. The participation trophy to me is meaningless. So don't take me mm-hmm. saying that com- all competition is bad. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about here. We talked about insecurity. Daniel mm-hmm. da- didn't have any of that because he knew God was going to take care of everything. Yeah. So he wasn't. If he were living today, he would not be obsessed over the election thinking, oh, what are we going to do if fill-in-the-blank gets into office? Because he knew that God was in charge. And uh, we, we we need to settle down and think more about God than the president or any other national ruler. Uh, we betray our lack of faith many times by our anxieties over the men who run our countries because they're really not in charge Right, And Daniel is about that And there's more to come It's every chapter just about Is about how God's in charge And there are going to be a couple of things later on In the symbolic part of Daniel Where he impresses us again With this attitude And then there, there are some things that happen Involving angels and things that I frankly, I don't think I'll ever figure it out But the overall message Comes out The sovereignty of God Um you know, we really appreciate you tuning in and listening to this episode of the sixty six uh, you know how most of you know how to get in touch with us, but just in case check out our Facebook page, give us a like. How many followers do we got right now? Three, four? I know you and I are following sure you. um no i
0: think, I think we're like I think we're actually have a pretty decent okay. following on the Facebook right. at the moment
1: that's we don't talk about it enough, so uh yeah it, it hadn't been out there that long. Our Twitter feed's yeah, been out a while at the66podcast and uh, webpage the66.net email addresses dkaiser at A-R-C-O-C, arcoc.com kingsley at arcoc.com and uh, we're, we're right in Daniel now so we're going to be here for a while keep up with us keep listening next week we'll get into chapter 5